they're overstocked and they've got tons of different products on their website that maybe don't even necessarily go together as a logical first, second or bundle option. Um, yeah. They're just sort of on there just because they wanted to release that product type of thing and it just yeah. makes it so much harder. G'day, I'm Lockie and welcome to D2C Slingshot, a podcast where we interview brand founders and industry experts to help you out on your own journey and I hope you enjoyed this episode. G'day everyone, I'm here with Andy, the owner of Pambros. I just want to quickly give yourself an introduction when you started, uh, how you got to where you are. Yeah, so uh, I started Pambros last year in June and what we sell is a wearable blanket for your legs. It sort of got inspired, I guess, by a much bigger brand of the space that everybody knows, uh, the Udi. Um, and, you know, I was just sort of sitting there, had cold legs, and I was like, you know, why don't they bloody make one of these for your legs? Like, why, why don't they? And to this day, I still don't know why they haven't. Maybe they know something I don't. But, uh, you know, uh, and now we're going into our second year. We've got stock in a UK warehouse. We're in Australia as well. Um, not, not quite the hyper e-com success story, but um, definitely on the right path, I think, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that with the audio as well. Like I'd be walking around the house and it'd be acting like a dress. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you're walking around with like maybe shorts or just your jocks on underneath and you've got your slippers on, but there's nothing in between. There's nothing in between. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And like also like you've got to, you've got to tuck your legs into it as well. Like if you wanted to be fully covered, it's like you've got to tuck your legs in. And it's just like I don't want to be sitting like that all day. Like for us who sit at a computer the whole time, it's like, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm constantly in trackies. It's pretty much standard uh, company uniform here. <laughs> so yeah, 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 just trackies all day, every day. Uh, I don't really move out of them, especially in winter. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It's getting, it's getting cold. Like it's getting, getting really cold. But um, yeah, that's sort of a bit about Pambos. And now, I guess for us, we're still in the startup phase where we're, you know, still testing a lot of different things and trying to figure out what is that core sort of feedback loop because I'm of the belief that you only really need to find your first core feedback loop for us at the moment, it was organic TikTok that seemed yeah. to work really well. Um, but now <clears throat> we've just noticed the inconsistencies with that, um, specifically being multi-regional now, like my organic TikToks weren't hitting the UK for you page. So we sort of lost that channel and then it was like, okay, well, we need a fallback strategy. We need to be running ads, um, which we were running in the UK, but uh, I guess we can we can uncover the drama that happened over there a bit later through the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So originally, obviously, um, you started on TikTok. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. And then from there, you've pretty much grown the brand purely through TikTok organic. Yeah. So that, that's exactly right. So when when I first launched, this is my first ever proper business so um yeah. they even get like the market feedback that we got was quite i would say impressive because if there's one thing i've learned about e-commerce it's very very humbling you know you can make <laughs> yeah. you have the best product in the world with all the bells and whistles but if your marketing's crap if your content creation is crap and stuff like that you, you simply just won't sell anything so yeah. um i follow when when i launched the business we i, I launched it from like the lean startup um a book by Eric Reese. I just sort of plugged that into the business and pretty much how it worked is I got one, one of one sample made, just one. And then I treated this thing like it was gold. 
because this was yeah. the only thing I could use to market. So, and then I just went out, went around and just started making videos with this one sample, sort of like a dropshipper almost, like they've got this one product um, and just seeing if I could collect emails. Um, okay. And then, you know, or seeing if the product had some viral tendencies and then, you know, I think our first, one of our, our very first video on Instagram reels got like 20 K views and me being me at the time, I thought, holy crap, like I'm onto something 20 K <laughs> views, which we were to its credit, like, you yeah. know, but, um, obviously knowing what I know now, I'm like, oh, 20 K views, it's a drop in the ocean on like TikTok and stuff like that. Like it's, you can get it just scratching your head in the morning, you know, like, yeah. so, but it was good. And, but the, the real caveat with there was like, could we get some email signups? Could we get somebody to at least just put their personal info into, into our website? Um, and then, yeah, we, we managed to go viral about like 200 K views within that space, but before launching. Yeah. And yeah, I think we had over, oh, like at least over 500 emails. I can't, I can't remember exactly. Um, I think it was bordering a thousand, but you know, um, we like that, that there were just emails, they weren't sales. Right. But we had emails and like, I was like, okay, like that, that's a good sign. Right. That's, that's all I knew. I was like, okay. And I guess the, the question there is like, would I have still continued if I didn't get those emails, if I didn't get that feedback in there? Um, and look, probably not, you know, I feel like it is very important, I guess, as a startup, well, especially if you're first time in business, just to get a little bit of traction, you know, get yeah. something to keep you going because it's just like, it's a tough game, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Getting like a thousand emails on like pretty much before you even launch, that's super important. Even just like, even if people were hating on you, but then also giving you some positive feedback as well, mm. uh, you can start getting ideas from that feedback and then product improvements and stuff like that. And then obviously if people are sort of like um, maybe some negative feedback, maybe some positive feedback, but they're definitely interested in the product as well. And mm. yeah, you definitely saw a gap in the market. Uh, and yeah, people are interested in it. and they're fighting in the comments as well. That's feeding the algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I get that on my clients. Like there's a couple of really good products that have thousands and thousands of reviews been around for 13 plus years. And then in the comments is like, oh, this is some dodgy piece of crap. I can go to Mondays and make the same exact yeah. thing. And then it's like, oh, I can do this for 20 bucks sort of thing. But yeah, just going through your TikTok, you've obviously invested a lot of time and effort into it. And then I saw a pretty good video from you just then comparing your product to a, um, a cheaper Amazon competitor mm. and just going through that. And yeah, I thought you did that pretty well. And just showing the differences between your product quality compared to just a standard pair yeah. of trackies you might get from Kmart or whatever. Well, yeah, I think, I think you really need to do that now especially because like anybody can knock off your product pretty quick unless you've got some undeniable ip or pattern on it you know um and like you really need to have like a strong point of difference for us it's like quality and yeah. i guess that point of difference is actually tangible like for for instance ours weigh you know three times as much as the dupes like i can just simply put that on a scale and show and yeah. you know obviously its purpose is to keep you warm so the logical mind you know even to a unsuspecting consumer who's never heard of us or a customer they can sort of see that and they can understand that and then that allows them to justify our price tag um yeah. 
and then I guess you in, in that you've also got to have some confidence in your product as well because number one you're also, you're turning away the people who are the bargain hunters and like I think yeah. if you're a you startup and you or even really yeah anything and you're going to try compete on price you're probably just going to lose in the long run um, yeah, a bit of a race to the bottom it's, sort of it's thing too hard yeah and then you're, but you're also whilst you're pushing those bargain hunters away from your brand and your product because you just you don't really want to be serving them anyway not in a rude way but it's just what yeah. it is they're not your customers so but then you're also like opening up the conversation to show the people that you actually do want um and i think a lot of people get scared of doing that because they don't want the backlash they don't want people hating on their product more just saying it's overpriced garbage and stuff like that and it's just yeah. like it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? Like Nike, all these huge brands, they can put their little logo on a, you know, a turd and yeah. <laughs> it, it, it would sell, right? So, um, you know, and, and just being able to like proudly stand behind your product. I think I, I see a lot of small businesses really, I feel, miss the mark on that. Like they yeah. need to be proud. They need to be in front of the camera and ultimately selling their product, right? Like. Like what's, if you can't sit here and tell me what's so special about your product, like who can, you know, like you're, you're the one who's meant to be able to go, look, this is why, why ours are better. This is what it does. And like some founders, like if you can't rationally explain why yours is more expensive, why it's this, why it's that, why would somebody buy from you? You know, why wouldn't yeah. they just get the cheaper thing? You know, it's better for them. Everybody wants to save money, especially at the moment. So, you know, you really have to, uh, stick true to your product and actually and I guess that's where the whole premise of like you've got to have a good product you know you've got to have a good product I, I feel like that gets very oversaid but you know without it you, you really don't have anything to really leverage even your marketing off so yeah yeah I think you do a pretty good job on TikTok responding to comments hate comments and just be like uh no you're wrong like this is why we're priced a certain way this is how we differ from a different product like i think you do that really really well and obviously being the face of the brand has helped you handle some of those objections as well where i i have some clients that will just pretty much like try to sort of ignore all that hate and not address that issue like if they mm. were to create a video actually objection handling it uh, then yeah. yeah, they could possibly see more sales. And I don't know whether you do this or not, but even like in the frequently asked questions, you could have you responding to that exact question on TikTok and just put that in the frequently asked questions on your website as well. Mm. So it's not just a bit of text on your website. There's it's coming from the founder, like this is why we're priced this way and that sort of thing. So yeah, um, I think that's that's yeah, that's a really good point. That's definitely something we're looking into testing this winter is putting like um, our TikTok style content. On the website i'm not sure if you've heard of that app tolstoy or something like that but it, no. it's pretty much a shopify app that just allows you to put a little TikTok in a little box on the side of the website as they're scrolling and then they can okay. click on it to expand so it's sort of like a talking head and then yeah. it's talking about the product it gives them a live you know oh nice um, yeah and it's supposed to improve our conversion rate and i think i think it would work quite well for ours because um, pictures don't really do our product justice. Um, you know, it is something that's so much easier to sell through video because yeah. obviously it's got all that fluff inside, you know, you can really pull it out and show how voluptuous it is. It sort of gets flattened out in just a static image. Um, mm -hmm. we sort of learned that first when we did our first round of influences, you know, not only did we have the struggle of, I guess, um, 
having our unique selling point on the inside. It's not outward facing. It's not a yeah, So if we're just getting somebody to wear it, people are just thinking they're normal trackies. And then, well, what's so special about these? They're just blue trackies. They, it wouldn't even get a click. So it wouldn't even really serve the impression in the way we want it to be served because they wouldn't even remember us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I've sort of like, as I've sort of developed my experience, I guess, in, in marketing, it's just like, I feel like it's just so much easier to just focus on sort of one thing. Like what's the one thing you want consumers to remember about you? If there's going to be anything in this digital world, like for us, it's like, I want them to be like, if I'm cold and my legs are cold, I'm going to go to these people. Like even, yeah. even it's very, even at the very elementary stage, uh, cause it all compounds, right. And like, if you're serving impressions that don't sort of service that, or don't push that forward. Like, what are you, what are we building here? So yeah, that, and then, yeah, that's why we, we've sort of really gone hard on more video short form content. Mm -hmm. We're going to be running some Facebook static pictures, um, yeah. to test out more. So like us versus them, you know, like the side by sides and stuff like that, all, all different sorts to see what sort of works. Um, but yeah, like that's just something we noticed. So, yeah. Yeah. How'd you go? Like a lot of, I know a lot of brands do struggle with getting the right content back from UGC creators. And it sounds like you experienced that a bit in the beginning as well, but mm. ne now do you have like a sort of video structure that, that those creators need to adhere to, or do you still let like leave it up to the UGC creator to actually make the content for you or do you heavily brief them? So <laughs> Yeah, it depends on the content creator and how confident really I am and how yeah. much hand-holding I feel like they need. Now we do pretty light briefs um, in general. So like when I would do a brief, it, it's very light in the sense of I just attach pretty much a features and benefits table to our product. Yeah, um, These are the features and I just sort of say like in the brief, this like obviously our interior, that's our major unique selling point. Like you need to show that, need, that needs to be clear. Back to what I was saying earlier, if there's one thing I want them to remember, it's that we got some fluffy, nice, comfy pants. Yeah. Um, so, and then just sort of matching that up. And then, because most UGCs, they'll have a portfolio. So you can see, um, usually, yeah, the most trouble we've had is, yeah, like some, some UGCs, like they don't, um, they don't, I guess, show the unique selling point enough. They just will wear the product. I'm like, no, like. I would, I, I would rather you only wear it for 10% of the video and just show the inside. And yeah. then, you know, this wasn't something we, I really thought of in, in when I was even in product development, you know, and I guess if we contrast it to something like the Udi, you know, it's gift is a curse. Like the Udi has all the design. So even that yeah. is like a visual hook. They don't even need to show like the size of it and everything. It's just like, what the hell is that? And I think that's yeah. part of the reason why obviously that digital advertising has done so well, but. Yeah, and that's like we, probably we, part of the reason why I brought mine because it stood out. Um, yeah. Like there, there's a Star Wars one just sitting down there on the yeah, floor, yeah. and like I brought one for my mom. I brought one for my brother. Like my yeah, brother has a KFC one. Well, yeah. right. So like, yeah, I did the same. I showed my parents it, and then I came. I came back to visit my parents like a couple months later, and the whole family had it. And I was like, oh <laughs> my god, <laughs> like what yeah. have I done? <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and like that wasn't something we, and now we're, I'm sort of thinking like, mm, we could put designs on, but you know, at this stage, we're still really trying to prove out our advertising and seeing, you know, like, I guess, diagnose the problem. Like, is it yeah. a margin problem? 
Um, is it a conversions problem and stuff like that? And, you know, we're, we're slowly inching along. If anything, we're sort of at the stage where we, I'm, I would suggest it's potentially a margin problem. And I think a lot of startup brands have that. You yeah. don't often have enough quantities, um, order volume to, you know, get the unit price that you need from your manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And even still, that's, you know, um, even negotiating that with with your manufacturer, there's only so far you can negotiate them down as well, right? Before yeah. they don't really want to work with you. Like, it, you know, they're a business too. So you sort of have to respect them, especially if they are, you know, the best manufacturer you've sort of found because it's a washout there. Like I remember we had to go through about six manufacturers just to find one who, you know, had the communication skills and would put in the time just on a sample because when they're doing... When you're a first-time client, you've never placed an order and you're just getting a sample, they really will cut the corners on you. Um, yeah. So you've got to find, it for us at least, and our product, it was really tough to just get that right, and even for a base. But now we have, have one. Communication's great. Um, obviously, things could always be better, but, you know, is it worth the risk of, like, going off, even paying a higher a higher product price, unit price to get that product in, all this stuff. So, yeah, yeah. but back to the thing. Yeah, we sort of... How, how did you um, go about finding a manufacturer? Is it just like ringing up the manufacturer, getting a sample back, doing that five times and then going with the best one? Yeah, pretty much. So, like, um, obviously, we source our stuff from China. Um, we originally tried to source in Australia, but we I just couldn't get the yeah. unit economics to make sense. We would have to be selling the pants at $140, $150. And I just thought there's no chance that for this product, already what is considered a low perceived value item, yeah. um, I would say, in especially in the clothing space, like trackies and, you know. Um, but yeah, I was, there was no way I could get it so get somebody to pay that. So that's why we, you know, moved overseas. Took us a bit of time. And yeah, it was exactly like you said, just get pitching the idea pretty much to a ton of manufacturers, trying yeah. to get a rough idea of how much it's going to cost you from each one. Because when I started, I didn't know what anything would cost really. I didn't know yeah. like what's the status quo for this. So pretty much what I did is like, and I, I would recommend people do this. It's just so much quicker. Just get, if it's your first product or a new product, just get a sample of like five different manufacturers, you know, because um, you'll be surprised like it'll cost you a bit, but it will save you so much time, you know, because they'll all arrive at your place and give them all a very similar sort of brief and instructions on what to do. And then when you get get all them, you, you'll be able to choose your manufacturer pretty damn quick. It's like, okay, I don't care because this person clearly didn't put effort into it. Like, yeah, and you'll, you'll sit there on the phone coaching them, like telling them, no, I don't want this. You'll take a picture, you'll, you know, and... It, there's a lot of back and forth there and like some manufacturers like you know their level of english and stuff like that is a lot better so just the back and forth's less they understand yeah. and all that stuff so then, then when you sort of get the product and you get to suss it out you'll sort of know pretty sure who to pick and then you go on that journey of actual product development and like you know finding things that you want to fix and you know there's there's always things that pop up and like we're still <laughs> improving our product today right we're still looking into yeah. things like you know for instance, like our buttons, our eyelets have been like falling off on some of the batches and it's just like, okay, how can we improve that? You know, because when a customer gets this after they've paid $99 and an eyelet falls off, it's not a good look. You know, we're obviously yeah. a premium product in the space. 
And just even, you know, now they're stitching fabric behind that to hold that eyelet in space because they're telling me that when you put an eyelet on stretchy fabric, it's hard to get the eyelet to like hold in and stuff. So I'm like, oh, well, let's, and they're like, ah, oh, it's going to cost you, you know, 10 cents extra to put that in there. Cause everything has a price as well yeah. with associated every little detail. And I'm like, yeah, just put it on there because, you know, I'd rather yeah. just pay that. And that's, that's the thing I think like, yeah, when, when it comes back to margin, it's like, do you want to compromise on your quality or, and that's something I've really had to sort of come to terms with. And it's also consumers as well. How much, how forgiving are they on the price for the quality? You know, um, it's a real fine balance. Yeah. How, how have you gone about finding that balance? Because obviously you've got your price, you've got your manufacturing, your shipping costs and all that sort of thing, but then you also need to promote your business. Like, have, would you say you found that balance yet? Um, yeah, well, probably not. Like, again, we don't really know. Um, but yeah, cause, cause at the end of the day, your margin is all in respect to a, how much somebody is actually going to pay for it yeah. and also to your acquisition costs, you know? So they're the two variables that you can sort of have a big chew on and think about and what makes sense to you because you know it might actually be more profitable for you to drop your price have more revenue per visitor you know on your ads a bit higher conversion rate than sell at the higher price even though you know you might be bit you're not even that much more profitable you're not more profitable you're getting more revenue per visit out of you know so all these things you know um and we've sort of learned that and that's you know you never really want to drop your price if you can avoid it um, but if, you know, the data is staring you in the face that you would be far more profitable, it's like, um, at, at a lower price point, because there's only so much you can really fix your conversion rate, to be honest, so as a startup, like I've, I've just found that that's probably my lowest point of leverage. We've invested yeah. a bit of money into it, like just getting mm-hmm. our website, looking a bit more schmick, our product page looking nice, but I didn't see extreme jumps. Yeah. Um, to be honest, it was more like it stayed around the same. So, yeah. And then we, we haven't probably found that balance yet. And I guess that's what this year is going to be all about for us. It's going to be really just investing the time into the ads and just seeing how much we can squeeze out of this. Um, and if it actually worked, because we, when we did run, we, we have, we've really spent about nothing like it's all been organic. So like yeah. the margin hasn't been an issue, but now obviously we're trying to grow. We got stuck in the UK, all this stuff. It's like, I'm, I'm in that position where, you know, I have to be on ads and, and that that's the reality of e-commerce. You know, like if you ever want to grow a big business, you're going to have to do it with ads. You can't just rely on organic, you know, it's just, it's not sustainable. So yeah, diversification is extremely important in e-commerce. Even with like if somebody comes to us for Facebook ads and we're spending say 50K a month on ads, but mm-hmm. they're not also investing in email, conversion rate optimization, Google ads, like that whole marketing funnel, then mm-hmm. yeah, you're only really scratching the surface. So uh, you got one hat on there, but I assume you wear uh, multiple each yeah. and every day. So you spoke a bit about uh, conversion rate being a bit of a focus in the past uh, what other areas do you concentrate on in like your everyday operations yeah well um probably at at the moment obviously it's it's just tiktok pretty much it's me making sure i'm at least putting out a video a day um 
but we've sort of even noticed that if we, the more content we put out doesn't necessarily lead to improved performance. Like if I'm mm. just putting out, like, cause it needs to be a match of quality and authenticity. Um, and also something different as well. Like if you're putting out similar content, like similar styles of content each day, um, I feel like your audience gets switched off a little bit and I know it goes out to the for you page, um, big argument on that. And that's why volume is sort of king on TikTok because you know, it just goes out to a new audience each time it seems. Um, but what we found is that, you know, to, for it to even really land on a good side of the you, for you page, it needs to do well with our followers first because your TikTok will get sent out to yeah. a portion of your followers first. Um, is it the fairest algorithm in the world for, you know, content creators and brands? No, it's not. But, you know, it promotes you actually trying to make good and innovative content, whatever that looks like for you in your brand. And, you know, so, and yeah, we've just sort of seen performance drop away the, the, at the high, the more extreme volumes where it's like probably three times a day if we're posting anything like that. You know, the one video will do well, the rest will just flop. If I just space it out, I'm working a bit less, I'm getting a bit more bang for my buck. That's just something we've noticed. So that's usually like our top focus is just yeah. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Um, we're trying how do, to- How do you keep up with that grind? Obviously you've got the one product. Um, mm. You can only show colors so much. You can only turn it inside out so much. Like how do you come up with those new ideas on a daily basis? Well, well for clothes, yeah, it's it's tough. Like it's a, it's a big balance between um, you know, engaging with your audience. So replying to comments and stuff like that. And you got to think about, I guess your TikTok is a full funnel in a, of itself. Like it's a discovery platform, but people favorite your video. They come back to it. They yeah. go back to your profile. They see you for a second time. And I think that's why like founder content is really powerful because they start associating your face with the brand. The more they see your face, the more they trust you plus your product. And when you're handling these objections along the way and, you know, you're making more content or they're seeing your business grow and develop, you know, yeah. that's like inherent social proof for them. So I think that's why small business in particular has really benefited from, you know, a platform like TikTok. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes I do run out of ideas. Like I sit there and I'm just like, crap. And then like, I'm putting together something, um, that just flops and it, it, it's it's a bit frustrating because sometimes you know i will put a lot of effort into some videos and then they yeah. just don't do well but it's just part of the game and you just <laughs> got to keep going and now it's like sort of finding that balance between you know packing orders and stuff like that they usually work well for us like that is sort of a staple in our content packing orders with a negative hook and yeah. some form of story behind it we just know that that works really well um, and you got to find a way that's sort of consistent for you to market your product as well. Like, um, cause if you're just like talking in front of the camera all the time, you're not talking about your product enough, no one's going to buy it. No one's going to know yeah. it exists. So it's like, you need to put it in there and you need to start like trying to sell your product. Luckily for us, it definitely doesn't sell itself, but when yeah. it's got, you know, a glaring unique selling point and it's for us positioned as though it solves a problem, I think it's obviously a lot easier for us on TikTok. Whereas mm. if I was just like an active wear brand, there would probably be a lot more of that community building type of stuff, yeah. um, gym content and, uh, you know, stuff that isn't really product in the face so much, but I've, I've seen a couple active wear brands do it quite well, where they do the old, do what we do, you know, pin your product off against somebody else and use that 
to open the conversation and get that mm -hmm. controversy and then yeah yeah cool so what would you say you've done well on tiktok versus not so well like there, obviously there's different types of content and you've been on the platform for quite a bit uh, mm -hmm. what would you say like has worked well for you maybe you've created a bit of an sop or a structure to the video versus mm -hmm. maybe something that hasn't worked so well for you yeah so i guess things that have worked well for us just across the board is anything that is controversial um yeah like and people hate that you know because they don't want to they don't want to cause controversy and stuff like that they don't want to and it's uncomfortable you know like sometimes i will go through some of my hyper viral videos and read the comments and people are bloody nasty you know so <laughs> just, and you sit there and you're just like god like who are you why would you write that you are such a piece of yeah but yeah so that's sort of controversy for one um yeah number two and like you can never stop objection handling again with tiktok it's going out to a new audience so like literally if somebody's never heard of us before but they see us comparing two products just that in and of itself is interesting before they even know what your product actually even is or does it's like yeah oh, we're just comparing these two things that you know it's just like those formats um are just like always pretty good um and then we don't do too many trends i think like that's something we've really you know moved away from as for yep. things we just haven't done too well in any sense um god it would be i guess one thing i feel like we are lacking and i'm trying to figure out is like i guess more lifestyle content um yeah. i've noticed for me and just particular i'm not sure if this is like you know me just uh complaining but uh or you know just not working hard enough but i've just found that my lifestyle content doesn't really perform well at all and yeah. usually I, I see a lot of other female founders their lifestyle content like absolutely slaps you know so like yeah i i find it personally hard myself as well but then i see those mm -hmm. females uh like putting some avo and some toast or going on a hot girl walk and oh there's the yeah. sunshine that sort of content yeah. and then when i look at doing that sort of stuff i'm like that's cringe bro <laughs> it's yeah. like... well i don't see it as cringe it's just like yeah. you know even if i did do that it just doesn't doesn't perform like it yeah. just doesn't like they have some aesthetic and magic in the tiktok algorithm. Some, yeah you're right i think there is some camaraderie amongst females you know and just like um that i think they're inherently obviously as we know you know they're typically more social uh they're yeah. typically you know more supportive of those things whereas dudes we don't really watch that stuff and generally speaking again very generally speaking um you know we're we're more in tune to watch men on our for, for you page like male content creators and stuff like that just as much as girls are more inclined to watch female because they're more relatable Inherent, yeah, my girlfriend more... tried to catch me out the other day i was we we're just sitting there in bed and she's trying to catch me out watching some uh tiktok yeah. chicks some booty workouts or something and yeah, she yeah. watched me for like 40 videos and there was not one girl on there yeah <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. and like that's sort of and this is like a something i've really really noticed and me and my partner have talked about it but it's called like we call it founder fit on tiktok and it's like if you are a spitting image of your target audience, um, it helps 
a lot. Like some, I've seen some girls, I'm, I'm just thinking of one activewear brand at the moment. And I think she's just got great fan to fit. Like her target audience looks exactly like her. And yeah. it's almost like an influencer, like where they want to be that type of person and they want to be her. So they admire her just in of herself, right? Yeah. And she's sort of this influencer for the product. Um, but it's also like that founder fit because girls see themselves directly in her. If And that, that's just almost nearly like an aesthetic type of thing on top of relatability, but like even just the way you look, like if you look like a model that would go on your website, you might actually have some good founder fit there. So you, yeah, you yeah, that become, makes sense. Cause yeah. I, like the content that I watch on TikTok is usually just some um, pretty fit blokes in the gym like or i spend a lot of my sundays meal prepping and stuff like that so i'm just watching them cook like Mm. eating like them and yeah i brought their courses and stuff like that so uh yeah that makes sense yeah there's a new term (laughs) yeah there's just something we've we've noticed because i was just like why does their content just really hit their audience like you know they when we're talking like consistent views they're consistently getting like 10k views and stuff like that and it's just like yeah um it's it's I, I think it's because of a bit of that obviously like you know i don't like to cough up excuses so much but my, my target audience is actually female like you know i think this was a mistake when i first started the brand like i did i just let the market decide my audience i didn't pick it and yeah. then just it so happened you know that my target audience was middle-aged women you know like family okay. and stuff like that you, you know they're our highest converters um, yeah. and they drive most of the sales. So, mm, interesting. And, you know, maybe I do have found a fit with that market because they look at me and they'd be like, oh, let's support like this young guy, you know, on an entrepreneur, you know, maybe I get yeah. more sympathy from that. Whereas like the mums would be less prone to support, I guess, like a young fitness influencer. Like they just don't care about all of that stuff. They just mm-hmm. care about like, so, you know, to that, to that degree, I do have a bit of that. So, you know, um, yeah, I guess you got it comes and yeah, goes. You gotta find so, your own target market and yeah. fit in the niche. Yeah, I, and I think like we're, I'm still debating this now because we we're not quite a full fledged. We're far from a full fledged brand right now with its own identity. Yeah. I'm pretty much you know as I said, we're still in that startup process, and I'm essentially you know an influencer for the product. You know, like mm-hmm. um, and now it's like well because the market decided, you know, that that's the easiest market to sell to. Like I didn't position it particularly, but maybe, maybe I positioned it quite naturally again, because of the type of content I make and stuff like that. It's like, hmm, maybe if I hyper leveraged this on the other side, would it have performed so well? And maybe that's inherent to me, or maybe that's just the market that is by and large easiest to sell to. Um, which doesn't really give me a competitive advantage in the long run, because if it's easy for me to do it, then it's easy for everybody else to do it. And then, um, let's say for example, say that Udi wanted to release their own version. You know, we've been thinking about this a lot over here, but if a big competitor released their version, I would inherently just become the dupe. I would become the second class inferior product, right? Because like, you know, they're more known than I am. So like, obviously, and then people would see us. And they'll be like, oh, like, what's this like little knockoff? You know, like, yeah, I, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like they could be three years late to the party. So you are on a bit of a t- clock to build up your brand and your reputation for your product. Um, so, yeah, and we, we, but however, in saying that, you know, that's why we've been thinking about potentially, you know, pivoting a bit 
whilst we still can on the branding and stuff like that and maybe position it more towards millennials and maybe take a bit more of an aggressive stance about being comfortable at home like clothes for lazy people and stuff like that like being a bit more aggressive because i think millennials are tired of hearing not just that, Gen Z as that well, would help that would help me purchase i know on like sundays especially in my girlfriend like if we're out or we're back home and we have to travel three hours home all we're looking forward to is getting in our trackies and putting the footy on or watching a movie yeah exactly that's all we want to do is go yeah, home and relax because we're lazy yeah exactly and i think like the we obviously haven't gone down that path yet, but it is something I want to explore, see if it, see if it works and it feels it fits right. But yeah, like I think most young people are tired of hearing that the, the hustling grind and the, you know, <laughs> obviously with your business, I know it's mine. It's just like that, you know, thought and that premise is always around that you need to be working super hard. And it's just like, it's really hard for, I guess, us as entrepreneurs, like to switch off. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, even, even for uh, other people, just, yeah, the idea of having to work your whole life and, you know, hustle, hustle here, hustle there. It's it's getting a bit old. I think people want to be able to relax and, yeah, as I said, like yeah. feel great about being lazy and it shouldn't be something that's frowned upon. Like, um, and that's, I guess, if we were going to take a stance, but I guess the, the, the higher point here is like, if we did do something like that, we would have something that's more defensible. You know, we would be able to appeal to it different audience that's much yeah. stronger and has a much more you know powerful calling of brand behind it so we wouldn't become a dupe we would just be our own sort of brand. Yeah. so like and that's sort of i guess the issues you run into when you're selling to the exact same target market you are on a bit of a crunch to acquire that target market and become known as the market leader in that category for yeah. that target market if that makes sense yeah, so, yeah. cool and is that a bit of like the reason behind why you did the rebrand? I know that's something you went through recently and it looks like a pretty big rebrand uh, from the outside. Yeah, no, that was, that was a nightmare, that rebrand. Um, <laughs> absolute nightmare. Regrets or? Not re- well, no, not regrets. Extremely uh, thankful, more so. Yeah. Um, we, so when we went to the UK, we, we sold out from that TikTok. Yep. And then when we were going to the UK, it was apparent that the word our, our old brand name was comfort that was trademarked so we had you know our trademark got rejected and then after some cheap legal advice um because it had been rejected for the third time now like mm-hmm. this wasn't just like um and it was like sort of you know i've already started training the brand name i'm gonna try and get this trademark application across the line because we're already this far down the road because i don't want to have to rebrand got yeah. some cheap legal advice and you know this is a key learning is you know always get some cheap cheap legal advice in the early stages it can just cost you like 50 bucks for a call on upwork with somebody and just to make sure that you don't have this problem but yeah what what, what happened is essentially the word comfort was already trademarked mm-hmm. um and in clothing in particular uh it's really hard to get you know trademarks for specific categories you know yeah. this, this might go a bit too deep into it but you know, you can, you can trademark things in certain categories. So for in clothing, like there's all these different categories, like you can trademark a brand name on jeans. It can be that specific, but, and some big brands have managed to get them across. Like they've actually managed to trademark, you know, like, like, you know, like that's just footwear, but like, 
you can't put UGG on anything really down, you know, uh, on your feet. They sort yeah. of own that category for that trademark. Um, but they also might own it outside of that, or maybe they don't. It's really confusing, but essentially the courts and the law operates that clothing brands are typical to expand into a lot of other ranges. So say if comfort already existed on bras, I can't just have it on trackies, even if they don't sell trackies, even if they don't have anything related to my product Yeah. that in the eyes of the courts, they would say, well, if they wanted to, they should be allowed to expand their product line sort of thing. Um, okay, yeah. And it would just cost a lot of money. And even if you do get it across the line, so you sort of coexist, there's two brand names in the same space, but you're both in different categories, they can still come after you and say, okay. hold on, you can't release this product because this messes with our brand name if you do that. So yeah. all these complications and just that's headaches. why it's to rebrand uh, because, you know, that can, that can kill your business. You know, like if you're yeah. scaling, then you get like a huge, you know, lawsuit or you've got to pay royalties on top of your thing. Like everything just goes out the window at that point, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. um, and it can wipe out, you know, years of progress. So, you know, keeping all those things in mind, it was just easier for us to rebrand. We got lucky and that's why I'm thankful because we sold out and we managed to clear out, you know, I think it was about like 90% of the old brand name. Oh, with that's the good. Yeah. Um, and then we got to just pretty much flip the script, turn a new page, swap the website over and everything was sort of, we got very lucky in that sense. Because uh, yeah, I can only imagine, say you've got a warehouse, you've got, you know, a couple hundred grand worth mm. of stock in there. You can't sell it because it infringes on trademark and they just want to shut you down. It's like, okay, you've just lost 300 grand of stock. Um, yeah. You know, so like, and you can't do anything or, or, or maybe they go pay a royalty on it. And then it's just like, well, your margins are done, but yeah, done and dusted for that until, and you know, if you, if you built your brand up and then you have to rebrand to something completely different, you know, a couple of years down the track, because again, like you'd know as well, like everything compounds over time. Like you can't rush that brand awareness right it has to yeah. be built so when you flip the script it's like you're almost just wiping a good chunk of it away you know so when when you did the rebrand and you switch from comfit to pan bros did you notice like view volume dropping on tiktok or how was that sort of received from your audience i think for us because we were we're still quite small right like um you know like six-figure turnover and stuff like that, like in terms yeah. of the e-commerce, it's not that much. It's it's obviously done well for, you know, the one product and stuff like that, but um, we're not breaking records over here necessarily, not yet. But, yeah. you know, by that, to its credit, you know, we spent nothing on ads. So all these things, you know, in perspective. But I think we did notice it because some customers were like, did you, you know, I got a Daily Mail reporter reach out the other day and she's just like, did you rebrand? I wanted to do a story. The website's not up because, you know, our old Daily Mail article all links to the old brand name. So, yeah, you know, and we've never noticed that from customers. Like, again, like these customers, they've all got comfort on their, on their pants. So like that mm -hmm. brand, if they're going, oh, I want to buy another pair of these, what was that called? Again, because yeah. our marketing isn't super front of mind all the time. They might actually go back and be like, what was it called? And then they're going to search it. They mm -hmm. won't be able to find it. So, I don't think we'll ever be truly able to measure the impact of that at at this stage. Um, yeah. Did you um did you yeah. keep that comfit domain or is that sort of a legal thing that you couldn't do that and redirect back to the Pambro site or? Yeah, we've kept the domain. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, again, people are just going to search it into the Google thing. And if you, if your domain's like not to, at the top, Perfect. they're not going to really yeah. find it anyway. So like, um, and yeah, like e-commerce is, and building brand and audience is, is really, really weird. It's something I haven't quite cracked or really understood. I think it's just because it just takes time. You can't yeah. rush that, you know, because some people are going to be just one-off purchases, you know, maybe they buy twice and that's their lifetime value and they're done. Other people are going to be customers for absolute life, you know, and, you know, you might only have 20% diehard loyal yeah. customers who just buy absolutely everything you do. And that's all you, all you really need at the end of the day to like, cause you know, that's your baseline, right? That, that mm -hmm. lifetime value. So yeah, we're yet to see the, the, the true extent of that, but you know, I have got a couple of emails of people in like, what's the rebrand? Like they're just a bit confused. Um, again, yeah. cause we're not serving impressions to like the mass market. Like I'm not landing on that page every day being like, Hey, we're, you know, even though I posted about it, they don't see it. They don't see it. And I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to spend all my time being like, we rebrand, we rebrand when, you know, already our audience is quite small. It's just like, yeah. whatever, we'll just acquire new people and we'll just keep going. If we, we lose them, we lose them. I can't do anything about it. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, rebranding also ties a bit into shiny object syndrome. Uh, how do you like avoid just going out and making uh, like a jumper or another pair of socks or a different business completely because you've been <laughs> scrolling through TikTok late at night like you told me before and you've just saw this clickbait head title and then you're like, oh, that sounds all right and then you go down that rabbit hole. How, how do you avoid that? Yeah, well, I think for us it was, I guess, more a matter of a literal circumstance like we just didn't really have the money to expand our product line you know too yeah. much um and we didn't also we also didn't have the audience you know that we have now so if i was to do you know multiple products too early this is a big one on branding and i think you might see with potentially some of your clients or clients that come to you um they're overstocked and they've got tons of different products on their website that maybe don't even necessarily go together as a logical first, second or bundle option. Um, yeah. They're just sort of on there just because they wanted to release that product type of thing. And it just yeah. makes it so much harder to sell. And I think that's another reason why, you know, I guess we've done okay. Um, is that, you know, we just got one product. We can focus all our marketing around that, speak to our audience on that. And I, th I think it is really important that you do do that. Um, and th I don't think there's any one way, right way to go about this. You know, some brands can build community very early on and they'll do drop after drop. Yes, their yeah. turnovers might look good, but like, you know, they're still not very profitable. And then I, I feel like slowly they just become overrun with stock. You know, they've got so much stock that then they try clear out on Black Friday, the busy periods and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, like when you're a startup, you really can't afford to sort of have a lousy drop. You can't afford it because like if I invested my money into a hoodie and it didn't sell yeah. um, and I'm just holding onto this stock and you know, you know, as well as I do, like stock can be sitting there in e-commerce for, cause people just, you think people will buy it, but they just don't, they'll look at it and go away. They don't care. You know, yeah, so that's like, an issue I face on some sales calls. Like we jump on the brand owners, super excited to invest in ads. And then they're like, yeah, I really want to move this stock that isn't moving. And I'm like, I can't sell shit. 
Yeah, like, like, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna be focusing on your best selling products and doubling down on what's already working. Mm. Like, I'm not in the business of coming in and trying to sell a product that Doesn't nobody is interested in. Hundred hundred and ten percent, and I think like, you know, there's always that argument of like, well, could you find a new bestseller? And I think for a lot of clothing brands in particular, they are on a bit of that quest to find their bestseller because I'm sure, yeah, how you see it, the goal of your bestseller might not be the best margin, might not be the best profit, but it's the best acquirer. It gets the customers in the door because that's where the demand's at, you know, and that's sort of why we wanted to take it that way. Um, You know, like it's not the best margin our products, not, you know, this tons of other things we could release that, you know, would have much sexier margins on them, but would the demand be the same? Probably, probably not. So yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of brands are on that quest to find their bestseller. And, you know, that's why I always advise, you know, doing less is more like small drops, try figure out what sells because like, again, e-commerce is humbling. You can have 10,000 people on your website and not get a single sale, you know, yeah. regardless of how much love you've put into your product and all that stuff, you know, so you just got to let the market decide. But, and I guess that's sort of why we, we, we stuck in it. Like a lot of people I've spoken to were just like, don't expand too soon because if you tie up cash in a product, that's not, it's just too risky at your stage. You haven't built your brand enough. Let's just focus on the one product. And I think especially with Facebook ads and stuff like that, you can do that super comfortably whilst you're not going to have, um, your business isn't going to be hyper profitable, you know, like, cause you're just acquiring customers and then you might not even have the lifetime value to really harness that, you know, um, that's yeah. sort of the problem we're looking at, but it is what it is. You know, would you rather, you know, I'd rather just build my audience for the first one, one to two years. And then when I start doing drops, I've got a good audience to sell to. I can get the minimum order quantities from the manufacturer and actually start making that money that you yeah. know you sort of need to off your audience to keep going. And then, you know, that the flow on effect is you push that into your ads and you rinse and repeat sort of thing. Yeah. And I think it yeah. is hard. Like shiny object syndrome is always tough. And like, I, I always face it. I always like, <laughs> you know, and I feel like for us, well, for me, it's just a case of just, running away from my problems, you know, like I'm just like, yeah. I've got a problem in the business. Oh, if I start a new business, this one will go away. It'll be so much yeah. easier, you know, if I just go over here, but you know, the reality is it just takes work. Like I've been putting in a lot of work t- on my creative, like my Facebook ads, getting them all ready. Like we have so much creative now that I've made and, you know, I've gotten from UGC that we don't even have the budget to test it. But when we go to the UK and like all that stuff starts ramping up, it's like, we're going to have a pretty clear picture on what the weak link is, you know, like if it's, if it's margin, then it's like, okay, you know, we need to increase our average order value, get an upsell on that. Maybe. Yeah. Still, as you said, focus on the best seller and just keep that as the driver until you find a better bestseller. We use it. Yeah. We use it as a driver on Facebook ads, but then on the website, I know you're in a bit of a different situation, but for other clients, uh, bundling, upselling, um, post, purchase, upsells, uh, email flows, just recommending different products that might go with the one that they brought. Those sorts of things, like those strategies on the back end that people sort of when they invest in ads, it's going to fix all their problems. But uh, once you start running ads, all these other new problems open up as well. Yeah, so. exactly. You, start, <laughs> yeah, you just keep notching down your business to till you find the real problem, you know, and it's just yeah. like, yeah, like, yeah, as I said, for us, it's probably probably a margin problem, to be honest, but we're not sure. Again, we haven't, we've spent under five grand on Facebook ads. So like, 
and we were sort of for us like we were breaking even you know so yeah a good place to start right but um uh, you know you just got to keep testing keep testing your creative because i don't know you you can pitch in here but i'm of the belief that you know when you're at really early stages you only need like one to two creatives to really just get that set that momentum clear out some stock you know to really push it push it forward if you're just on the one product like i am it's not like i need all these different cross sells you know different ads for different products and stuff like that i yeah. can just be like i just need to find one winner and it's been evident through tiktok you know if i hit a winner up tiktok it'll yeah. move all the stock so it's just like if i can just replicate that and add and i'm sure it's out there for us yeah um, regardless of how fruitful and long long time that is but in terms of just getting the wheels turning and getting your stock moving again um yeah i really don't think you need to be focusing on too much else you can just get away with find finding that right creative and yeah you, I've you been, know um, it, but it's it's hard right it's hard finding a good creative so yeah. yeah i've been uh pushing recently just a simple starting strategy like a 2k a month ad budget if you are just getting started out on facebook mm. ads and with, within that strategy really all you need is one campaign now recently it has changed and i've been using a lot more ad plus campaigns as well uh, so that's mm. like the new automated version of like running your facebook ads sort of like performance yeah. max on google and just having that there don't do any targeting or do your location your age your gender that sort of targeting just leave it broad and then go into the ads add like three ads in there 65 dollars a day and throughout like the next week just leave it don't touch it let it optimize for a few days and then go back in see which one it, was there a standout winner? Was there a standout loser? Cut that, replace that, and sort of go through that a few times for the first month, spend a couple of grand. And by the mm. end of that, hopefully you should have some pretty good performing creatives, especially if you've gone to the Facebook ad library, searched up some of your competitive brands, maybe you've saved them to an app like Foreplay, which is one mm. that I absolutely love. Um, and then just sort of trying to replicate that as well using your own USPs. And yeah, that's sort of the starting recipe for our accounts on a small budget. Yeah, like that's that's sort of what we did, like um, very similar, you know. Again, yeah, we, we, did, right. we did do that. Yeah, like we obviously have done all that with um, our creative we have now. But when, when we first were running, you know, it was all, it wasn't even quite, I would say, the best content. We've noticed for us, like, the UGC actor, for, again, we've spent barely anything, but the UGC actor is a big lever for us. Like if, if it's a middle-aged woman, if it's a young girl, like that is, we, we've just noticed huge performance swings just based yeah. on that factor alone, like that variable. So like, now we know it's mums. Yeah, we, I have a um, I have a clothing brand and like a children's clothing brand. And there's this one little boy that has like the blondest hair, the bluest eyes, and he absolutely crushed it for like three launches in a row. And now we're starting to get to that age where I'm starting to notice him disappearing in all the um, oh, no. photography. And I'm like, no, get that kid back. He's, a He's the golden Cause... goose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. That's that's so funny. Yeah, but it's it's true. Like. Um... You know, and we, I guess when we first were running our ads, we, we did have a media buyer, but it's not that it didn't really work out. You know, th things were doing all right, to be honest. Um, but then, you know, we had a lot of issues with the warehouse, you know, that got shut down for a while. Yeah. We had to turn off our ads. We were running like an end of winter sale. We're in season. So like for us, you know, running ads, realistically at our stage, um, 
given the fact that we don't have other products to survive off in the meantime when we're out of season, you know, we really have to nail that uh, our seasonal, you know, element yeah. um, and just make sure we're turning over most of our stock in those seasons because that's when we're going to be most profitable, right? Because we, we just noticed like, you know, we were breaking even at the tail end of winter because mm. our stock landed a bit late. Um, you know, we only had one month of winter left and like people have already done their winter shopping yeah. um, and things are slowing down you, as much as you'd know, if you've got a seasonal brand that you work with, you know, like, and you know, I just made the short call. I was like, look, if we're breaking even now, things are going to inherently just get worse. Let's use common yeah. sense here. So let's yeah. just like cut it whilst we're, we're at least breaking even and we're not losing money. And then we'll just, cause, cause I needed the cash for Australia restock. You know, so like, you know, I need, obviously I need to restock Australia. Now what it looks like, you know, we've got like a 70-30 stock split, not the best. Um, 30% of the stock in Australia, 70% in the UK, you know, but it sells in the UK, you know. So it's just like at the end, when we were running ads, like even to break even is still a good sign because there's people running ads that can't even break even, right? Like, yep. like even, even with like good creative that they've gotten back, they can't even break even. So like, you know. Is, even if you're yeah, making breaking's good yeah. yeah and then obviously word of mouth spreads as well and you sort of get yeah. that halo effect over if you're in the long game then you get that halo effect over a couple of years and people will start obviously the pants might wear out or they're growing maybe they get a bit fatter over the winter or something and then next yeah. time they got to buy a new pair or whatever so that halo effect's pretty important yeah and i think i think you'd know as well like the idea of just having this golden product, this hero product is sort of washing away now. I think especially after the iOS, like you can't just treat, you can't hack your way to success through your ad account and just be yeah. like, oh, I'm gonna, even if you've got a golden product, you know, it's just like, I think inherently, you know, brands are thinking a lot more long-term now. It's not just, oh, you know, is this the best product? You know, it's more like, okay, how do we actually turn it more into a full marketing funnel, you know? like. Yeah. That's what I've seen, especially since the end of the lockdowns. Obviously, there was a lot yeah. of brands that were started. There was a lot of quick success. And now yeah. brands are seeing that downturn in the economy and going, oh, we're not yeah. growing anymore. Like, what do we do? Yeah, I, I think that's like really, really, I think I think that's just a broad and general rule at the moment. Like the economy is slowing down. Like we, I think we've definitely noticed it as well. Um, and I think for a lot of brands, it's just going to be about hunkering down, getting back to basics, relying yeah. on that lifetime value. For us, we're small enough so that we don't really have too much overhead. So we'll be fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely have noticed and have heard of like some of my friends' brands like launched in lockdown and stuff. And like they're, they're, they're worried. They're a bit worried because like um, obviously, yeah, like I feel like. I'm, I'm almost thankful that I didn't start my business in lockdown to some extent, whilst it would have been an absolute Hail Mary, yeah. right? Like, you would have known <laughs> yeah, from had a perfect account, product but, from it for it. Yeah, exactly. Probably would have done me wonders. Um, yeah. But uh, at the same time, it's like, it doesn't give you an accurate representation of your business. And, you know, um, is your product actually a good seller? Like, I think a lot of people have had to come to terms with that, like, because they've just been like, they were flying in lockdown, like things were easy. And you could sell yeah. bloody stickers through Facebook ads, I'm sure. But like now it's like. Yeah, those oh, non-essential so items are definitely much harder to sell. Like you really do need USPs. You do need something that makes somebody's life easier um, yeah. or more comfortable. Or there has to be something, a unique selling point yeah, or I think, a problem I think that you are solving. So true. Yeah, I think that's why we, we've 
managed to get as far as we have just off the one product because I can at least position this thing as though it solves a problem. You know, like yeah. you've seen some of our marketing and stuff like that. It's like fundamentally people are buying our product because they're cold, right? They're cold yeah. and their trackies aren't doing them justice anymore so like, that's sort of the whole thing right and and you do need to write down sort of every little thing that your problem does solve and yeah. even if you think it's a small thing that nobody will care about it's somebody's problem like mm. this water bottle i brought it because i wanted my water to stay colder for longer while it's sitting on my desk that was like the only reason <laughs> it's like that's like a minor inconvenience to my day uh, like I had to get up and go refill the water bottle too often through the day because I had this little glass sitting on my desk. Yeah. It's like, that's how inconvenient and like yeah. just getting out of my chair because I'm lazy. Uh, 110%. Yeah. Well, that, sort of, that's sort of the first thing we started with. Like I got to my wits end with my wearable blanket with the Sherpa washing it. Like it was just a nightmare. And I was like, surely we can change this fabric to something similar that doesn't yeah. turn into Velcro after a couple of washes, get some bark in there, get some dirt in there, you know, like it's never yeah. the same and it just gets so much worse, you know, once it starts going down. Um, but yeah, and we were just looking for a alternative to that. And like pe people think that that's a trivial problem. They're just like, oh, you just brush your blanket. You just brush it. It's like, I'm not brushing my bloody blanket with some unmatting brush. Like it's a dog or something like that. You know? like, that's why my girlfriend doesn't wear a Rudy yeah. anymore because it's all got like lint balls through the inside. Yeah, exactly. It. It's gross. It, it's not, it doesn't make you feel comfy. It doesn't make you feel cozy. It makes you feel like the opposite of how you want to feel in that product. And yeah. I guess it's to its credit. It makes you go back and buy a second one. <laughs> but yeah. like so there is that level of like you want your product to deteriorate to some extent but yeah like yeah it's like the just... iphone batteries just carking mm. it after a couple of years so you go and upgrade yeah exactly like you do need to have that but like um yeah it's weird like i you know it's a trivial problem but people really rallied behind that in our first mm. stance of marketing like you know and that yep. really helped us uh you know get the first initial traction that okay you know we are in this space as well um, you know, and this is why our product is maybe better. And we've also got the USB that we do the pants, right? Like, you know, that's why I've also been hesitant to do the hoodies because I didn't want to just go, ah, oh, we're just doing something similar over here, marketing it yeah. very similar. Wanted to wait a bit until like people were like, no, like they do their own products, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, obviously we're coming up, uh, we've gone over an hour now. Um, no, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a really good chat. And like I have time to stay on, but we won't have to do a part two um, yeah. because I found all that information really valuable. And it was good to get the insights into obviously a e-com brand perspective as well. Yeah. It's like some clients are like, oh yeah, we're struggling with our manufacturing or we're struggling with our shipping or our margins. And that's why we're going to have to let you go. Unfortunately, like it's not like it's nothing to do with you guys. Like you're generating good results. It's just other factors in business that, some yeah. businesses do just have to like make cuts or make changes or pivot or. Yeah. Well, I've seen that. Yeah. Like a couple of my, including you, like my other media buyer friends and stuff like that, they've lost a couple of clients and like, yeah. you know, they're feeling the pinch too. And it's just like, yeah, from, from the brand perspective, yes. Yeah, at the end of the day about trying to cut costs, you know, like um, your advertising, this, this probably isn't going to be the period where brands are growing too much. Like if you're growing, you're lucky, you know, so, or even if you're even, you're, you're lucky, you know, but I think, um, yeah, it's the time to just hunker down think about more of the long-term strategies that you can implement um, and just 
you know, accept that it might be quieter, which sucks. You don't like a backward step, but no. you got to take a backward step to take two forward. So Yeah, if you're taking a backward step, obviously you're looking at areas in your business that you can improve. And as long as you're taking a step forward each day and you're constantly growing, maybe it's even just improving the first three seconds of your video. Um, yeah, for exactly, like three videos yeah. in the row, right? Like you're still progressing. And then like I look at my videos or some content that I put out when I first started compared to now. And yeah, yeah I don't know yeah, if you oh, your own videos yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, some of that stuff is cringe. Yeah, well you gotta like you gotta get through that <laughs> quality. Yeah, I'm I'm the same like I cringe looking at my first video, but you know, I, I even went like part time at my job early on just so I could learn like all these all these skills. Yeah. I think that's another reason why like we've sort of done well. I see a lot of startups uh, they they hang on to the job and like you should because um, cash flow is king. Um, but like yeah, it's like if you're not learning the skills, you're not learning your content creation. Like these skills are like you need to learn them. You need to yeah. get good at it. So yeah, you need yeah. I went I went balls deep. I quit before I even started the business. <laughs> Oh, you, like, so you didn't even have a client like did you not have a client no nah, i didn't have a client i got I, i'd been watching on youtube i'd done sort of half a course and like i hated my I, I hated the job at the time and then yeah just but you gotta quit. do it yeah i feel like yeah. i feel like yeah for some people like for me i dropped out of uni for this you know so it was just yeah. like you know when i think you know as men in particular you hit that stage like i would say like yeah your mid-20s where you you get for the first time in your life a clear picture of what where you're going to be in the next you know five to ten years if you if you stay where you are or you don't you know and these thoughts start coming to the surface so it's just like hold on like you know what do i actually want out of my own like all these like questions start coming up and then it's just like yeah you do have to make these ballsy question these ballsy decisions so yeah no i support i support your your confidence (laughs) and now look at you right like people people always like you need to have your back up against a wall sometimes like i know myself i wasn't going to get this business moving unless i dropped uni um and then i same and that's been my philosophy going forward like even going to the uk i was extremely scared you know yeah i'm taking on a warehouse i'm doing all this stuff my sales volumes are like inconsistent and it's just like but if i didn't do that you know i I never would right so it's just like when these things and these things pop up it's like you just gotta shoot and then it's just like you'll figure it out like i don't know that works for me it gets me in a ton of trouble but it pushes the business (laughs) forward and i feel like you gotta have a bit of that to you because if you sit there and you just you overthink it you're gonna find a million reasons not to do it You've always got to take risk to grow and get out of your comfort zone, I guess. Like Mm. some clients I know uh, that I've lost clients, like they will just sit at like 2K, 5K a month ad spend, get a six times return for six months. And then all of a sudden they part ways because I'm like, I'm pushing growth. I'm like, let's scale this budget. This is working really well. And they're like, my lifestyle is comfy. Like I can spend time with the kids at home and that sort of thing. And they've created yeah, a business and got it to a point where they don't want to grow anymore. They're like they've created that perfect work-life balance for them. And now they don't need me because I've set up ads that are so consistent. Right. And now they're like, oh, we'll just keep that running, but we'll just cut you out of it. So uh, like people go through different stages, but if you are in a growth phase, then risk is important. And yeah, 100%. 
yeah, trying to obviously find the balance between jumping off a cliff or <laughs> maybe yeah, like, with rocks yeah. at the bottom or maybe there's some water at the bottom and yeah, just taking those yeah, well, calculated like, risk. Yeah, 110%. I feel like, yeah, there's definitely room. And I think like yeah, your perception of calculated risk, it's never like perfect. You just get no. better at it through <laughs> making decisions. Like yeah. um, for instance, you know, I, when we went to the UK, my, my client my my glory strategy was going to just be retargeting everybody who that viral video hit so yeah. everybody who wanted to purchase went out like i reckon it would have killed you know we had like twenty thousand. i don't even know how many saves it's got on that video you know um if we just retarget it put the even if we put the exact same video and just was like oh yeah i wanted to buy that you know <laughs> like yeah. um i reckon it would have done well but then we found out that we couldn't actually get appetizer access to the UK. Like we couldn't. And I was just oh, like, yeah, wow. TikTok, that's so annoying. You got to start. Yeah, and I was like, country. that's my main yeah. channel. And then I was just like trying to ex- install, you know, a pixel onto, you know, yeah. a th- and then like you can't pull the TikTok data account. onto yeah, you Facebook. Don't and... You don't have, you don't have the saves. So all the strategy yeah. just sort of went away. And I was just uh-huh. like, oh, <laughs> you know, that's like, and that, that's the good thing about like, I guess like the, the TikToks and, you know, having your organic, you're not just targeting interest, you're targeting like specific sort of actions within those apps. Um, uh, and it, you know, outside of like the iOS and stuff necessarily, it's like, no, TikTok has that data. People have saved that video. So it's like, it helps a lot. And yeah, like all those things. So it's not just like you're retargeting your web visitors for the past 30 days or something like that. So yeah, it's like, I don't know, really, really, really tricky, but yeah, you got to take those risks. But now, now we're in the UK. Now I've got, you know, now I don't have to worry in summer. I'm sure like it'll keep me busy. And I'm hoping that regardless if we grow this year or not, things will be a bit more consistent. We'll have yeah. like sales through here. Maybe we dip off a bit once Australia's done, but then we'll pick right up again, you mm-hmm. know, because that was probably something really difficult for me mentally over summer. I think here, like we got a bit lucky, but, you know, sales has slowed down and like, when you're in a first year startup, you know, it's like, you don't ever want to be slowing down. Like you just yeah. want to be growing, 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 but I'm not even like growing at like record rates, but just growing consistently, just getting that feedback that you're on the right track. And like, this is working. Um, and just constantly having those ticks of approval go off in your head because it's just like, when you're not getting that, you know, it's soul destroying, you know, you sit yeah. there and you're just like, you know, your, your business is like your baby. So like, you know, and like when a client's leaving, it's just like, ah, it's another problem, you know, but I guess, yeah. So that, that's the plan for now. It's just boot up the ads in winter. We're going to launch this thing next week. I don't know how well this restock will do because it's be, it'll be really interesting because this is our first restock that's in season. When yeah. we launched, we sold out and then we did restock. We released black and that did okay, but definitely not, as much as I was hoping, because we restocked probably in about oh, June, August or something like that, August, yeah. September. Towards the end. Yeah, like, you know, outside of winter and then like heading more so into summer. So like yeah. when we restocked, we still had that stock you know, left over, but then it sold to the UK. So this year is going to be super interesting, I think, just to see like how much, what's our actual lifetime value? Because people... Again, are only buying our product once, um, typically. They might buy two pairs. Yeah. But they're going to be most inclined to buy it in season as well. So, like, yeah. for the most people who are 
have just bought the one pair do they come back this year we don't know so like all these factors and stuff like that we get to sort of play on maybe i played it too safe with the stock order maybe you know, i should have gotten more but you know you yeah. never know and then like at least off that we can decide where to go from here yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a journey that I'm looking forward to watching on TikTok. Um, I know you post a fair bit and I'm sure you'll keep us updated on that. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give yourself a quick plug? Uh, no, it's all right. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't post uh, t too much too much valuable information out, out there at the moment, but the brand's Pambos if you want to go follow it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're down selling yourself, mate. Really good TikTok channel. I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, part of the reason why I reached out to you uh, to jump on this pod is because I do find um, brands that do put a face to it and like the founder jumps on and handles those hate comments and those sorts of things. I find yeah. that entertaining from my end, uh, just as a business owner and just looking at how you handle those sort of comments. So yeah, I do find your uh, content valuable and yeah keep doing the good work that you are doing yeah awesome lucky and likewise i hope um i hope uh yeah the, this year i hope we both do well because we're both obviously going into a slower period but like i think <laughs> you know through grit and determination i think we'll be fine well there you have it unfortunately this is the end of the episode but if you're looking for more be sure to find more episodes on the platform you're viewing on or head over to instagram to find tons of valuable clips